Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 125. And it is a big one today, fellas. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me yet again today are a pair of my teammates, Mr. Peyton Burton, Mr. Phil Dexter. Fellas, we are in for a big one today. Yes, sir. A lot of stuff's happened this week. Another week of another number one team getting knocked off. Should have a number one, a new number one coming in tomorrow or Monday when the AP poll drops. But uh, it's been a crazy week, and I can't wait to get into this episode. Phil, how you doing, bro? Doing great, man. Was at the uh, Duke game last night. Got to see a good one. Um, and then, yeah, like you guys said, we had a great past week in college basketball. And then this upcoming week, we have some unbelievable games. So excited to get into it. Yeah, and we have a big one. And as always, fellas, this podcast is presented by the House Enterprise and in part with the House of College Hoops. Head over to our website, house-enterprise.com for more information. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, as always, our title sponsor for everything college basketball this year is Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. It's a healthy juice bar. It's got all your skinny shot teas, your protein coffees, everything under the sun that's good for you and healthy. Stop in and tell the owner, Natasha, that ECB sent you for 10% off your entire purchase. Um, we are all live on the YouTube and the Twitter, as always, and we promoted it last week. Today, at the top of the show here in just a minute, We'll be joined by the head coach of the Bellarmine Knights, head coach Scotty Davenport. Cannot wait to get into that. But real quick, I do want to bring something up that's very interesting, I thought. We talked about them last year when they blew up. I don't remember the D1 school they played, but they scored a ton of points. But this last week, D3 College, Grinnell College out of Iowa, scores 124 points, going 40 of 111 from three-point land. They did not take a single shot inside the three-point arc. They hit 40 of 111 from three. Fellas, is what kind of video game stuff is this? Yeah, when I seen that stat, I thought I thought for sure that was like someone was playing a video game. I didn't think that was real. 110 three-point-ish, my God, you can tell the game has changed and how the three-point line has been implemented in today's game. I wonder, I want, you think Nate Oates was watching that game? You think he learned some pointers watching that game? Because, <laughs> my God, that was ridiculous. 110 threes? 111. 111. 111, excuse me. It's what I love about college hoops, though, in comparison to the NBA. You get all these different clashes of styles and just different things that you see all throughout the different levels of the sport. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about that with with Scott here coming up in just a second. Um, so, yeah, super excited to obviously talk with him, but very interesting to see a, a strategy with a team throwing up 110 threes in one game. <laughs> Not sure you'll see that at the D1 level, but definitely, uh, like I said, what I love about the college game. It's unbelievable. And you mentioned it, fellas. Um, he's waiting in the lobby. Let's go ahead and bring him on now. We are now joined on the Everything College Basketball Episode 125 podcast by the head coach of the Bellarmine Knights. He's won a Division II title. He's helped move them up to Division I, and they are the reigning Atlantic Sun Conference champions, although they didn't get to play in the NCAA tournament, which we will talk about. Joining us now is the head coach, Scott Davenport. Coach, how are we doing today? Good morning. Doing tremendous. Doing great. 
I, I don't know if you were able to hear us right before you came on. We were talking about Grinnell College out of Iowa, the D3 school. 111 threes. Now, as a head coach, you've been a coach for a long time. When you see a team just pull the three like that, what goes through your mind? And would you ever let one of your teams do that? No, my head explodes. And I've tried to, I don't know in this day and age it's impossible, but I don't want our players to see that in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I don't, even, I don't want them to even get that thought in their head. So I don't know if you've seen the rules. They've came out. Um, I forget their head coach's name, but basically yeah. he's got a set of rules for them. It's got to be a the, the quick three is the best three. No layups. On defense, it's better to give up a layup than get a shot clock violation because you want to get the ball back. Um, basically, they just want to play video game style, and they put up ridiculous numbers, but I couldn't imagine just giving up layups just to get the ball back. No. In all seriousness, though, the first lesson in coaching at any level is there's more than one way to be successful, and they are proof to that. I, I mean, total proof to that. Uh, there's different ways to be successful. You have to be who you are. I cannot be Coach Patino. I cannot be Coach Crumb. You know, you have to be who you are. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, I saw it. And, and I think it made my arm hurt thinking about taking it. <laughs> well, they're leading scorer that game, too. And, and here's the other rule, too. They, I think they've got 19 kids on the roster. They play all 19. Their, right. their whole philosophy is get up and down, keep constant rotation, wear the team down. Their leading scorer that game played 13 minutes, goes 12 of 24 from three. <laughs> How it, do you get 24 shots up in 13 minutes? No, uh, that, that's – you could play – it sounds like you're playing with an eight-second shot clock. Yeah. I mean, it, unbelievable. Um, Peyton and Phil, I've kind of tucked up the, the beginning part here. I'll let you guys take over here. Yeah, uh, I'll take the first question here. Um, you kind of just mentioned it. You mentioned Denny Crown. You mentioned Leak Patino. Two Louisville legends. And I know right now I got my Kansas gear on. Uh, I'm a Kansas fan. But I'm also a diehard Louisville fan. Have been since 2009 when Earl Clark, Samato Samuels, Kyle Kirk, all those other guys down there. So I'm a huge Louisville fan. You guys have the privilege of playing in the Freedom Hall. What's it like to be able to play in such a legendary arena? Well, it's truly an iconic facility. We were talking prior to the show, there's been more national championships, Division I national championships in Freedom Hall than any facility in history. Uh, there's been cities with more. But, for example, Indianapolis had Market Square, had the RCA Dome, had Lucas Oil. But Freedom Hall's hosted six, you know, from Coach Wooden to, to you know, Kareem Jabbar. You know, then it was Lou Alcindor. You go on and on and on. Oscar Robertson, the, the, the greats. Muhammad Ali's first professional uh, victory uh, bout was in Freedom Hall. Four presidents. Any any musician you want to name from Elvis to the Rolling Stones to Elton John to Billy. I mean, just anybody. And I'm really proud and, and I'm thrilled. The state of Kentucky's. we're in the middle of a $220, reno, $220 million renovation uh, that is being done. It was done prior to this season and will be completed next year from the end of our season to the beginning of the fall of 23 uh, to bring it up to speed technology-wise, visually, the ribbon boards. Uh, it, it's, it's incredible. We've had great support from our fans in terms of turning the locker room into Bellarmine. It's not a, a Louisville, you know, former Louisville locker room anymore. It's ours. 
uh, lockers, carpet, uh, the graphics, uh, and that's that's key in recruiting. And we have boosters in, we have youth teams in, we have you name it, because that's how you grow the game. We need people to be inspired about the game of basketball, not not a, a video game. Uh, and and we've we've done that now 18 years. Our locker rooms open all the time. Last night, after a tremendous win against a great Murray program, that locker room was was incredible. And we're appreciative of those people. The reason? The players love it. And this is all about the players. Absolutely. Phil, looks like you got something. Yeah, well, Denny Crum and Rick Patino have both come up a couple times already. And I'm just curious, how much did working with both of those guys, you know, shape your approach when it comes to coaching? Maybe not from a basketball standpoint, but more of a program building and just how you handle your players. You know, Phil, that's a tremendous question. They, this is really, a, a, it's a great answer. They think the game should be played the exact same way from a fundamental standpoint. You know, you dunk the ball with two hands or you use the backboard. I, I mean, they really do. But they teach it 180 degrees different. Coach Crum's a math major, very analytical, uh, very uh, methodical about it, you know. And Coach Patino's going to go 9,000 miles an hour uh, like somebody's chasing it. But they, but they, their belief in the way the game should be played from a fundamental standpoint is the same. How it, how it impacted me, uh, I say this with total humility, and I believe it with everything I have. That I'm the luckiest coach who's ever coached any sport, any level, from grade school to the NBA to MLB to NFL, NHL, you name it. Uh, I am the luckiest. And I'm appreciative of that every single day. Well, Coach, uh, you meant uh, again, Denny Crum. And by the way, we got to send our uh, well wishes to Coach Crum. I think it Absolutely. came out. Re- I think it came out recently. He's um, not doing as well, so we want to send our well wishes out to Coach Crum and hope for the best there. But uh, you mentioned obviously getting to work alongside Coach Crum, Coach Patino. Um, both of them are very charismatic. You watch them in their prime on the sideline, very charismatic. When you are coaching alongside guys like that, that are not flamboyant, but they're this larger-than-life personality, especially in the state and the city in which they have resided in, um, what do you take from that? Especially on like the recruiting trail, when they're when you're dealing with young players, um, what do you take from those two personalities? Well, the first thing you take from from it is the, in my opinion, the biggest lost start. In- in college sports is the ability to judge talent. And that that I learned from the best. And it wasn't just from Coach Crum, Coach Patino. It was from, you know, Coach Wade Houston, Coach Jerry Jones, Coach Bill Olson, the assistants under Coach Crum. It was from Mick Cronin, Kevin Willard at, at Louisville. Uh, you go on and on and on. The ability to judge talent now, I believe, is very, very overshadowed because there's so much social media impact and ratings and rankings, et cetera. And, you know, we believe, but the one one common thread was you put the players first. You put the players first, and and that's what we do. But the challenge is you've got to recruit players who want to become a part of your program. You hear the word culture a lot, and I'm not being argumentative, but we take a different approach. I don't know how to coach culture, 
But we believe in having a program, which means you have a plan. That plan is academics, athletics, and socially. We have a plan. Then you evaluate talent. You judge the, the, the prospect in terms of his future. And the key is you get young people who want to become a part of your program, that they don't want you to become them. There's absolutely. a big difference. There's yeah. a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And especially at a Bellarmine, and I don't think this is any secret, but Bellarmine's different than Kentucky or a Kansas or a Duke. Um, you're probably honestly recruiting a different style of kid. No question. So when you are evaluating talent, you're obviously, I would imagine, looking for kids who are going to be here for the traditional four years to grow and develop. Um, is that kind of what you're looking at, I would imagine? Uh, it is, but we've had, we've had 25 players play professionally overseas. Uh, Pedro Bradshaw right now is playing for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. Jeremy Kendall's still playing in Germany, or excuse me, in Australia. Brayden Hobbs is in Germany. Chris Stahl, you just go on and on and on. But my belief is it should be the same. I don't care if you're at Louisville, if you're at Kentucky or Indiana or Duke, you should still do that with an education. You know, the, the, the percentage that's going to make it is so minuscule. And I mentioned the people that's come through this program. We've had, you know, over 25 play professionally, but all of, except one have done that with a development degree in their pocket. Why can't you do both? It's a good question. Yeah. You, your question. goal should be to use the game. We've all heard of young people who, when things don't work out, say the game used them. We, we can't do that. We can't do that. They should use the game. Think of this, and I'm going to get a little bit real with you guys. So we have three freshmen, Pete Suter from Carmel, uh, Michael Bobas from Cleveland, Zach Reeds from Brabuff up in Indianapolis. Think of this. A normal career in the work world, they're going to work somewhere between the year 2067 and 2070. Mm. Think of that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's real stuff. Though. That's real. That, that's real. It's real. And I with a that serious. And, and with a basketball career, you could play 15, 20 years and retire I, if you're fortunate enough. But why not do both? Well, no, yeah, you're right. You're right. What happens to the 28-year-old who's been given a false sense of reality, what the real world's about, and it ends, it stops bouncing. That's on us. That's our fault. Because he's going to work, you know, another 40 years. Mm. I tell you, the greatest spokesman, the greatest spokesman in all of college basketball, in my opinion, is Matt Painter. Matt Painter tells it real. Bob Huggins tells it real. Now, you, you know, before them, it was Coach K, it was Roy Williams, but but Matt Painter is as good a spokesman for college basketball. If Matt Painter tomorrow was running college basketball from coaches, officials, administrators, players, everybody involved, I'd be the happiest guy in the United States. Ah, uh, so we've had a debate, and I'm going to let Peyton and Phil, I know I keep taking up, I just have these faults. We've had a debate here recently, which is funny you say Matt Painter, because 
I'm on the coach painter or not bandwagon, but the train we have in the ECB family, we have a ton of Purdue people. And for years, they're constantly, ah, if they lose a game, well, Painter can't coach and he can't do this. But when they win, they're like, oh, maybe he's not too bad. And we've tried to tell him for a long time, the guy knows what he's doing. Like you don't just continually have a successful Big Ten program and a team that's in position to win if you can't coach. And so the fact that someone at at your stature is saying Matt Painter is the guy makes me happy. I'm not going to lie. Well, it's it's. For me, it's totally out of respect. Um, we played them a year ago when I was at Louisville. We played them. Um, he is everything that's right with the game of college basketball. I, I mean, his perspective, again, in my opinion, and we can line up people, he is the foundation of, of what college basketball should be about. And, again, for me, it's total respect and admiration and appreciation for for what he stands for. Phil, I know you could, I was going to say, go ahead, Phil. Yeah, to pivot a little bit to uh, what you guys have been doing this season, you know, you're sitting at five and six currently, but you've played the fifth toughest schedule, according to Ken Palm. As a coach who's experienced, you know, a ton of success throughout your career so far, how do you guys find a balance between wanting those immediate results with wins and losses, but also trusting the process and understanding what you guys are trying to build long-term? Teaching, teaching. We could bring in, let, let's say that we brought in Coach Crump, Coach Patino, uh, Roy Williams, Mike Krzyzewski, Coach Knight, Matt Painter. Let, let's go on. Gene Katie. Let's go on, on and on and on. And let's say, okay, we're going to come up with a practice plan today. It would be impossible, in my opinion, to simulate teaching with the greatest brains in college basketball better in a, in a Bellarmine practice than we could get at UCLA, at Duke, at Clemson, at Louisville, you know, at Loyola Marymount. At Kentucky. At Kentucky. You, you couldn't, you couldn't, you can't simulate that. And our players deserve, and our staff deserve so much credit because of the belief that this is going to help me. It's hard. Nobody wants to lose. <laughs> we led Kentucky in every media timeout in the game. Now, there was points where they were ahead, but we came back until the under 12. That yeah. was after we had been to Clemson and Duke on a Friday and a Monday. Then Loyola Marymount on a Friday and UCLA on a Sunday. And then Kentucky on a, on a Tuesday. That speaks volumes for these players and their personal pride, their pride in this program, but it also speaks volumes to recruits that we have a plan. Uh, think of our players. Cameron Indoor Stadium on a Monday. UCLA on Sunday. At Rupp Arena on Tuesday. You, that's three iconic and, and, venues right there. And I know you all are probably aware of, but maybe the listeners are not. Four schools in the history of college basketball, Louisville, St. John's, Notre Dame, and North Carolina have played in Poly Pavilion, Cameron Indoor Stadium, and Rupp Arena. Only four. We were the fifth. The closest any of those schools did it was 333 days from December 
till the following November, two seasons. We did it in nine days. That's unbelievable, Coach. That is un- – and full disclosure, I'm a Kentucky fan, have been. So I was obviously watching that game. Kurt Hopf was unbelievable in that game, by the way. I mean, he was driving me mad how good he was in that game. Um, Phil, and, I had a- what you don't know, he could not practice on Saturday. He played UCLA on Sunday, could not practice on Monday due to a severely bruised sternum right in the middle of his chest. Well, which- you wouldn't have known it. There's nothing you can do. I mean, you breathe, it hurts, you get touched. We had him padded up, and he's going against the consensus college player of the year. <laughs> who's the most physical guy in years in college basketball and Oscar Shreveway. So, you know, credit to Kurt. You're right. But yeah. I'll give you a, a Kurt trivia fact. Who holds the Indiana State Championship game, high school game, rebounding record? Well, it would it's him because he played at Bar Reeve and they yes. played at yeah because we're from Indiana. We told you off air. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's him. They play. Um, yeah, I forget what it was. It was like twenty five or something. Like no, twenty three. He nineteen. He had twenty three points, nineteen rebounds. Yeah, yeah. And that bar, those Bar Reeve teams were phenomenal. Phil, I know you he, had another follow up question. Yes. Oh yeah, no. I was just going to ask with those UCLA, Duke, and Kentucky games. You know, you mentioned they were over the span of nine days, but did your guys get a chance to, you know, soak in some of the history of those places, check out the museums and stuff inside? Well, you, you, you yes, absolutely. You, you, you're touching Phil on the teacher and me coming out uh, as we went into Poly Pavilion. We arrived on Wednesday to, and we played Loyola Marymount on Friday. We practiced in the first facility Coach Wooden ever coached in from 1948 to 19. 19- 65 before they built Poly Pavilion. So I had the players study Coach Wood. I said, I want I want you to know where his first job was. I want you to know his background, uh, being raised in Indiana. I want you to know he coached in Dayton, Kentucky. I want you to go through his record run. And then we went through the UCLA. It, it, their locker room is exactly, it, it's, a, it's a museum. The pyramid success. We did the same thing with Loyola Marymount and Hank Gathers. We did it at Rupp Arena. How many of our players even know who Adolph Rupp is? They should know. They know Coach Calipari came from Memphis to Kentucky. Do they know he was an NBA head coach with New Jersey? They should know. And I'll give you an example. We played at NAI school. We played Alice Lloyd College last Monday, Tuesday, and or Sunday. I'm sorry. And I made our players, where is that? It's in Pippa Passes, Kentucky. They didn't know that. They should learn. You can learn outside of the classroom as well as in a classroom. You know, the same with Freedom Hall. When we made that transition to Freedom Hall two years ago, I made them research everything about Freedom Hall. And, and they should. So this is a part of learning, and I take the teaching aspect very serious. Coach, I got one more question for you, and I'll let Josh start to wrap this interview up. Um, I want to ask, you got a lot of experience coaching the game, and a big topic surrounding college basketball is NIL. What's your take on NIL? Good question. Well, I believe it's great if it leads to a player's future. Like Justin Betts for us already has a master's in business administration, and he's got some NIL opportunities through Argy Financial but that's going to be his future. He's going to be an employee. He's going to be in the finance world. So, so I'm all for that if they can use it, but to give them fake money, you know, 
yes, these players should be given every opportunity to maximize their college experience. I want them to use the sport. I'm fearful that some of them are going to be used by the sport instead of using the sport. So we can do both. We can do both. We're an example. But we should be teaching fiscal responsibility uh, about how you manage finances. Not, again, outside of the classroom, not, you know, the intent was not as a recruiting tool. And that's gone astray. We know that. Well, as I'm going to say, unfortunately, you can already start to see where, um, see, we're all in favor of the NIL. We, we think that if the kids are bringing the fans in the building and they are helping build the revenue for the schools, for everything else, that they should be able to collect some of that. Sure. But, but to your point, we are starting to see where it is leading down a very dark road. I think there needs to be some kind of regulations on it, but- I don't know. It's kind of like the Wild West. It's kind of like we wanted it, but now we want to pull it back a little bit. It, there's got to be like a happy medium there because it, it is. I mean, like if you're an Oscar Shibley, obviously he's driving revenue for the University of Kentucky for all this. People are wearing his jerseys and all this other stuff. Right. But he at, at one point in time, he couldn't collect any money off of that. And it kind of goes back to the Fab Five deal where Chris Weber would say, like, we're packing the Chrysler bill or the Chrysler Arena every night. And we go to the bookstore and we see our jersey with our number clearly on it. And people are buying it off the bookshelves. But we don't get to see a dime of that. And if somebody wants to buy us a pizza, we're in trouble for that. So See, I agree. I agree 100%. But I also reflect back. You made a great point, Josh. You you made a great point. If if I was teaching a a fifth grade class, the day one of that class, boy, I better be super structured. And I better be on top of it. And everything better be everybody working together. Then that class will move forward. If I come in for five days the first week of school and I let those fifth graders just go wild, do anything they want to do, sit wherever you want to sit, get up whenever you want, just do whatever. Then I decide, whoa, I better rein them back in. It's not going to work. Yeah, it's harder to do. So my opinion, we should have been much more structured. And then as we grew, we could open it up. I completely agree. And I think we went the other way. The same with the transfers. We went the other way. Now we're trying to rein everything back in. Oh, you can't use it for recruiting. Uh, oh, you can only go to one school. No, we, we should have been much more structured. And as we learned through the way, put the players first to where they're learning financial responsibility and how to manage and not get eaten up by by taxes because this is income yeah and then we could have worked through it but i think the fall i think where we have where we're suffering i grew up in an era where people in roles of leadership knew college campuses they knew young people they knew a locker room they knew athletics And I think we've lost that to a degree. And we have people in in supervisory roles that are businessmen. They are accountants. They are legal people. You've got to understand young people, a locker room, a college campus, and their future versus just saying, okay, whatever you want to do, go do it. You can't do it. Right. Right. 
Uh, I will say one last thing because, Coach, I, we appreciate your time, and I'm going to let you get out of here. But um, on the NIL, I do think one thing that is good for college basketball is that in years past, a guy like Oscar Shibwe or an Armando Baycott or Trace Jackson Davis probably wouldn't have come back for a senior year. They would have been forced to go to the NBA when they're probably not ready. I do think the one thing the NIL is doing is that these guys can come back almost risk-free to get their degree to stay another year in college and mature for the NBA and make a little money on the, on the side as well. And I think that is better for the game of college basketball, because if you can bring guys like that back for another year, I don't think that's a bad thing. You know what though, Josh? What's up? Sincerely. They don't have to go to college. Well, no, no, they don't have to go. Right. That's true. They don't that's have big, to go. That, it's true. They can go to the G League. They can go to Europe. Dang, I'll coach. I'm, I'm out here trying to promote college basketball, and you're giving me counterpoints. <laughs> now the NBA. College no, basketball. I know. I know. Right? No, you're right. You're absolutely right. How many – let me ask you a pop quiz, Josh. How many college athletes in NCAA Division One, Two, and Three, men and women? How many? Pop quiz. Uh, uh, I don't know, 50,000. I don't know. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Over <laughs> 460,000. Oh, that's crazy. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about a minuscule number, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at a big picture. That's a good point. And, and see, I, I know a locker room. You know, I know a college campus. You know, I know young people. And, and and you 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 go zero to Oscar Shuey, but I agree hundred percent. But how many of those are there? Well, there's one. <laughs> there's That's one. Right. There's I one. You played them. I can tell you one. Yeah. And and I pre you know what I appreciate that point of view because you're coming at it as a person who's in the trenches. Yes. With these kids, and I'm coming at it from a point of view of a guy who covers college basketball that sees these stars, quote unquote, come back and like, oh, this is a good thing. So I love the differing opinions and I appreciate that. Um, Coach, it's the best I, game. It's the best oh, game in the country. Th there's nothing better than college basketball. Because it's very seldom, if ever, are the five best players the best team. Right. It's a true team game. It's not where we've got a, a, a special package in football for a defensive play or a short reliever in baseball, or it's a true team game. Completely. And that's why the beauty of this game, and, and, and it is, it should be entertaining. It's a great game. Completely agree. And that's important to me. That's really important to me. Coach, we appreciate your time. If you've got, we had some fan questions on our Facebook group. If you've got time to rapid fire, there's only a couple of them. If you've got time to rapid fire. Yeah, let's fire, fire, fire away. Right on. We will start with one of our uh, content creators here on the site, Johnny Stroud. He wants to know which team would you love to go into their house and knock them off? Any team in the country, uh, you get to pick one building. We've talked about Rupp. We've talked about Polly. We've talked about wow. and Dort. You get to pick one team that you would love to go into their house and knock them off. Well, I'm going to say Louisville, Kentucky, and Indiana, all three, because, and Purdue, because the wealth of knowledge the fan bases have. I, I would say this area, Louisville, Kentucky, Indiana, Duke, because the, the knowledge of the fans. Love it. From um, the student standpoint, Duke. 
<laughs> there you go. Um, Phil, you were at that game, weren't you? The Bellarmine game. Uh, yes, I was, he, and I can totally understand why uh, why he says that with the fan. The uh, the fan base in Cameron can be a, a little a little much sometimes. That's what I'll say. Oh, they're the best. They're the best. <laughs> Nick and Gonzaga are the best. The there, best. There's no more passionate fan base. I don't think that's for sure. No, they're the best. Everything's choreographed. Everything. <laughs> Coach uh, Riley Palmeter wants me to ask you um, if there are any talks on changing the tournament eligibility rules, especially since other coaches are calling for it too, which brings us to a great point. After you played Kentucky, I know you were moved by Coach Cal coming out in your guys' defense. We think the rule is complete BS. Um, it, it shouldn't take this long to transition from D2 to D1 to be eligible for the tournament. You guys were the A-Sun tournament champs. You should have been eligible to go to at least NIT at the very least, the NIT, and you got screwed out of that. So kind of your thoughts on that, and do you see it changing anytime soon? Well, there's a side that says, oh, well, you knew what you were signing up for, and it said four years. That's correct. Eleven years ago, we looked into it. The cost of making the transition has almost tripled since then. Mm. It's more than tripled. I'm sorry, I misspoke. So the universities are paying the way. Number one. Number two, I'm not going to quit fighting for these players. You all don't know me as well, but if there was three and a half minutes to go in a game, we're down four, and we quit, can you imagine what that locker room would be like? I would go crazy. So I'm not going to quit on them. I won't ever let them quit on us. So I'm not going to quit on them. I'm going to fight for them. Now, just this last week, the NCAA granted Every senior at Virginia football, another year of eligibility because of the tragedy with the, the three deaths in their group. They should. They've changed the transfer rules. There's a player in this very community. There's been players at Louisville. There's players in this community who've played in three colleges in three years. They've never missed a possession. Why not my guys? It's true. Now, what I question I have begged the NCAA to come look my players in the eye and explain to them because I look them in the eye every day. And I go back to what my point was. If we got people in leadership positions that know a locker room, a college campus, and young people, this rule would be changed. They can do anything they want. They just did it last week for Virginia. I've got cited cases where emergency legislation has been enacted. What do you think the mental well? How do you think Justin Betts, Garrett Tipton, two players, one has his master's degree, the other one is right, will have it this spring. How do you think they feel mentally, knowing they're two games from starting a conference season? Do you think it affects them mentally that they're not then qualifying for the automatic qualifier? We're the only school in the history of college basketball to do it. Yeah, and it, it, we did it last spring. So, do you think they're you do you think they're mentally affected by this rule? Yes yeah. or no? You, you yeah. they are. They have to be. They have to be. Well, why don't we worry about them? Well, listen, we we've got on here for five years now and lambasted the NCAA for inaccurate and slow decision making and illogical decision making. So, if we could tell you what they're thinking then we would be a rich bunch of people. 
But I just wish they were consistent. Well, that's what we've begged for years. You and brought up NIL. Who was that for? It's supposed to be for the players, yeah. The transfer portal was for who? The players. For this players. has nothing to do with Scott Davenport. This has to do with our players. That's all. Do it for them. Well, we're we're 100% behind you because we thought last year that you guys should have been eligible for the tournament. You're the A-Sun tournament champions. By rule and definition, you win the conference tournament, you become the automatic qualifier. It doesn't matter. This whole rule, I'm going to get fired up. I'm just going to get fired up. So, Coach, I'm, we're with you. We're absolutely with you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, guys. Hey, Thank th you. This, this isn't as much of a, a question as a comment. Friend of the show, he votes in our ECB Top 25 weekly poll. Uh, the former head of uh, officiating for the NCAA, John Adams, he said, uh, hell of a coach, Louisville should have hired him. So I don't know if uh, a little shout out to John Adams there. And you might have. <laughs> former, former GLVC um, coordinator, officials coordinator. That's how he launched his career. John Adams is everything right with college basketball. He is. He a, speaks the truth. He does. We had him on in the summer. Became good friends with him. Uh, like I said, he's a voter in our uh, top 25 weekly poll. We love John. His son uh, does a great job coaching. We need more John Adams, not less. We got two more for you, Coach. I know we're taking a lot of your time, which we appreciate. Uh, Braddock and Roth says, which team do you find yourself going against on the recruiting trail? He was curious if it's a team like Northern Kentucky, if kind of the similar ilk you find yourself battling with them more often than not. No, it's regionally. It's the MAC schools, the OVC schools, the A-Sun schools. It's kind of regionally like that. That's a great question. Uh, it can be Horizon schools, uh, just more geographic than it would be specific. But, you know, the league's similar to ours. And then last question, Jordan Bowman, we talked about this off air, but I'll let you answer it on there. He goes, why does he love the Indiana kids so much? I believe there is nine on the roster without looking. And we <laughs> mentioned it off air. You've got the second most Indiana kids on a roster right behind Purdue in the nation. So what is it about the state of Indiana that you love that me and Peyton they, love so much as well? They come with phenomenal poise because they've played on such tremendous grand stages when you look at uh, the facilities throughout from southern indiana all the way to fort wayne to crown point to indianapolis to everywhere they play with an incredible following in front of uh, rabid fan bases so their poise is at such a high level but the, the number one reason it's their love for the game well coach in 49 other states, it's just basketball. But in Indiana, <laughs> it's more than that, and you know that. Um, Coach, I know we've taken up more of your time than probably we anticipated, but we just kept rolling with the punches. We cannot thank you enough for hopping on today, and you will have an invite at any point throughout the year if we can get you back on. And we told you off air, Peyton and I got our, our credentials. We will be there December 29th for your Clash Against Liberty. Cannot wait to see your team in action. And like we said – to see Darius McGee from Liberty, it'll be a fun time and freedom all. Coach, is there anything? I know you guys got games coming up. I'm going to give uh, you a Liberty. The winter I'm going to give you a Liberty little tease, okay? Yeah, go ahead. Be courtside prior to the introductions because it may be the greatest national anthem you'll see all year. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, Coach, are oh. you singing it? Are you saying the national anthem? I couldn't carry a tune of it at handles. No, it may be 
the, the most special national anthem you'll see all year. I, I'm, I'm giving you a little tease. And, and this is just the micromanaged part of me coming out, doing a little bit of everything. But I've got a lot. Of, it's going to be fun. It's going to be special. Well, we'll leave it on that. Coach, we can't wait to see you in person December 29th for the Liberty game. Again, we from all of us, we thank you for your time. And again, hopefully, I know the season's busy, but hopefully we can get you back on throughout the year and chat you up some more. Um, Coach, you've been phenomenal, and we thank you for your time. Seriously. Everybody, stay healthy, stay safe, have a great, great holiday. And, and embrace and enjoy those families and this game we all love so much. Thank you very much. Absolutely. See you, Coach. Ladies and gentlemen, what a phenomenal interview that was with Coach Davenport. I, Phil, I don't know about you. I swear to God I could talk to him for three hours. Well, I think Phil's so excited that he had to get used to bathroom, so I'll just go ahead and step in for him. Uh, yeah, uh, is the episode done? I feel like we can end the episode just right now and not talk about anything else that's happened throughout the week because that was just incredible. I mean, he's just a wealth of knowledge. So many, uh, so much, he's an experienced coach. You heard his takes on NIL. You heard his takes on the transfer portal and everything else. I mean, it's... He's a brilliant mind, the fact that he's got to coach under or be under the influence of Denny Crum and Rick Pitino. I mean, obviously, those two guys are special to the Louisville program, special to me. So, very cool interview, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we all did. Phenomenal. Peyton, what we're going to do here since Phil went to the bathroom, we're going to run our one and only commercial breaks here instead of later in the show, and then we'll come back. we got some big games to review, preview. We've still got more left in this episode 125, so stay tuned. As you're listening to Everything College Basketball, episode 125, Peyton Seat Geek It Up. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh here, and I'm here to let you know that we've teamed up with Seat Geek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. Seat Geek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they are here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to Seat Geek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off of your first purchase. What's going on, everybody? This is Will Tondo, the co-founder of House Enterprise, and I'm happy to announce that the Everything College Basketball podcast is now part of the House of College Hoops Network. We're really excited to bring you some premier college basketball content this season, so check out the website www.house-enterprise.com for all of our content creators, all of our college hoop stuff, and we're excited to get this season rolling. What's going on, everybody? This What's going on, everybody? This is Conrad here from Enterprise. Everything Pro Wrestling. I'm here to let to you know that, that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. Every Monday, we are live at 6.05 Eastern Standard Time with Clash of the Podcast, where you can listen to myself and my tag team partner, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. You might even find an old school topic or two as well mixed in. And every Wednesday, we go live on YouTube once again with AEW Dynamite post-show coverage. So at 10.05, head on over to the Everything Pro Wrestling channel and talk what we just saw on Dynamite with us. And did I mention that we are on all available audio platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you so much for listening to me. And let's get back to everything college basketball. Well, thank you very much for that, our good friend Conrad Cushman. Uh, he's got you covered. Ring of Honor just had a pay-per-view last, or actually yesterday afternoon. I don't know if anybody watched it, but go check out Conrad and Everything Pro Wrestling for all the latest and greatest coverage. Check out our website, uh, house-enterprise.com. 
And just check out all of our friends and sponsors. Phil, I know I think uh, Peyton said you had to take a bathroom break. That's why we went to commercial break. But um, before before we went to commercial, we were just talking. Coach Davenport was phenomenal. Just with his time, his his passion, his uh, – I could listen to that man talk for hours. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he certainly has the passion not only for basketball, but particularly for college basketball. And you could hear that when he was talking about the NIL, but when he was talking about – you know, his team not being eligible for the NCAA tournament. I think that was a pretty poignant moment. Um, and and we feel for him and his guys. You know, there there's no reason for them to not be eligible. Like he said, I would like the NCAA to, to put forward any good reason that they have for not allowing these teams to be eligible. Um, and it, it's the players that suffer, and, and it, it sucks. But, yeah, the interview overall was phenomenal. Scotty was great with his time um, and just look forward to, you know, you guys making it out to the game and sort of getting some of that access to the program and uh, just seeing how they do throughout the rest of the year. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, obviously I'm excited to go to that game December 29th, but after spending about 35 minutes with him, I feel like Coach Davenport's a friend now. <laughs> he made you feel like a friend, did he not? He definitely did. I feel like we're buddies now. I mean, that's probably what makes him a great recruiter. Shows up in that living room and you feel like you know him after a few minutes. Speaking of knowing, though, what I do know is that this week, last week in college basketball, we had the number one and number two teams lose this week. Um, let's go ahead and start with number one. Alabama goes into Houston and roll tied the Houston Cougars for Houston's first loss of the season. Um Thoughts on this game, Phil? I know you didn't get checked most of it out because you were at the Duke game, but I don't think it's a huge upset. I know some people are trying to say this is some kind of big upset, but Alabama's already proven over the years that they can beat the number one team in the country. They just did it earlier this year, despite what you think in North Carolina, but they go into a hostile environment. They're down, I think, as much as 17 at one point, rally their way back to victory. Thoughts on this Alabama win against Houston. Um, it looks like Nate Oates might have another team that contends for the SEC like we all thought. And how freaking good is Brandon Miller? Well, that's who I was going to bring up is, you know, like you said, I didn't get to see a ton of this one. But I think what separates this Alabama team from the teams that Nate Oates has, Nate Oates has had the past few years is having a guy like Brandon Miller, having that one absolute stud that you can lean on. Um but I still trust Houston as one of the best teams in the country. I know a lot of people are jumping on Houston now being like, see, they don't, you know, they play in a terrible conference. They shouldn't have been number one, da, 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 da. They lost, you know, a really close game. Marcus Sasser's banged up. Um, I just don't, I just don't think that uh, they deserve some of the hate they're getting. Well, here's the thing, too. We've known Nate Oates' Alabama teams to stroke the three. Peyton joked about Grinnell College and all that, but they only went 7 of 23 from three, and they were down as much as uh, – they were down 15. I'm sorry. They were down 44-29 was the largest Houston lead, and they clawed their way back. Noah Clowney, the freshman, 6'10 freshman, wins Ken Palm, Ken Palm MVP of the game, 16 points. Uh, Brandon Miller, if you only looked at the stat line, eight points, five rebounds, but he was so crucial down the stretch, getting big rebounds, getting to the rim, creating plays. Um, Jaden Bradley off the bench with 12 points. It was the freshman for Alabama who carried this team to the win. Noah Clowney, Brandon Miller, Jaden Bradley. Um, this Alabama team's impressive as hell. 
They're really impressive, and the fact that Brandon Miller did not hit a single shot, all of his points came from free throws. He had eight points, he's 0-8 from the field, 0-5 from the three-point line, 8-9 of from the free throws. Uh, so the fact that they still won this game by six, um, and their best player didn't play well, didn't even hit a single shot, says a lot about this Alabama squad. And Phil, I'm glad you mentioned Sasser being banged up, because that's what I was talking about last week when we was previewing this game, is will Sasser be healthy? Is his shoulder okay? Can it live up? Because the game prior to this one he went out with like the final two minutes to go with a shoulder injury and I think that was a big question and it definitely came into fruition to this game uh, he only had nine points 211 from the field uh, three personal fouls he had a couple turnovers um, he was not the best player on the floor and I thought he would be Phil let me ask you this from a Houston perspective you're up 15 in the second half um, is the 44-29 lead was that 16-28 left to go in the game you're up 15 um, that's when you probably should have closed out. So thoughts on Houston blowing the big lead like this? Uh, Phil, you got your mic muted, I think. Uh, Peyton, I'll, uh, I'll ask you then. Um, look like Phil, I'll just it look like Phil had to step away. I'll ask you. Thoughts on Houston blowing the big lead? I think... I think Jamal Shedd, Jamal Shedd had a great game for the most part. I mean, 8 of 20 from the field, that's not really too effective um, efficiency-wise, but he had 19 points. I think he was definitely their best player. In the first half, he played great. Second half, though, he didn't really play his best, especially when they was making a run. Um, he had a couple costly turnovers towards the end of the game that pretty much uh, gave Alabama the lead. Um, I think the last lead Houston had was 62-60 to 60 with, like, under five minutes to go. Um, but, yeah, that's a game they should have won. I mean, they was up about 15 points at one point. And, uh, you know, they're the, they're the number one team in the country. That's a game, even when your best player is not playing well, it's a game that you should finish, and they just ultimately did not. Well, uh, speaking of a uh, game that should have been finished, we go back to Tuesday night in Madison Square Garden, the Jimmy V Classic. Number two, Texas takes a loss, the first of the year, to number 18, oh, I'm sorry, not number 18, to number uh, 16, Illinois, in the ECB Top 25, 85-78 in overtime. Um, Peyton, thoughts on this? Because Texas looked like they were in control there for a while. Yeah, it looked like, I mean, they had a 10-point lead at one point with, like, under nine minutes to go. They were up 56-46, uh, um, and then Illinois started hitting some shots. And I told y'all last week when I predicted yep. this game, Matthew Mayer, this was going to be his coming out party. And it, boy, oh, boy, did it ever. 21 points, 8 of 10 from the field, 5 of 5 from the three-point line. I said, in a game like this, if you want to upset a talented a uh, very good Texas squad. He's going to have to hit some shots, and he went perfect from the three-point line. He Incredible game for him. He was unbelievable that first half, I, and I think he did most of his scoring that first half. And you could tell he has filled himself because a couple of them, he isolated one-on-one -on, -one on the wing and did a little dribble dance, step back, bah, bottom of the net. As our good friend, uh, uh, not really a good friend, but uh, – um, Bill Raftery. Bill Raftery, thank you. Onions, baby. Onions. Onions. I mean, Mayer was tremendous. And TJ Shannon was terrible the whole game. But late in the second half, to get it to overtime, and in the overtime period, he was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, well, it yeah, showed, he, I think it shows the talent of a kid like that. He could be quiet for 38 minutes and then just turn it on in a blink of an eye. 
Well, in the overtime period, Illinois only scored 17 points, and he had 12 of them. So he was definitely the player that they needed him to be in this uh, overtime period to get them the upset win. Uh, but going to Texas-wise, uh, Marcus Carr did not play well. I mean, nine points. He was 3 of 14 from the field, 0 of 5 from the three-point line. Um, he had four fouls. He was in uh, foul trouble, a couple turnovers. He did not play his best. Timmy Allen, uh, Timmy Allen and Tyrese Hunter was the only – uh, guys for Texas to score uh, in double figures. Well, and, and this is a game, too. I know it kind of picked up late, but for the majority of this game, neither team shot the ball well at all. Uh, I know Illinois ended up going 10 of 23 from three, Texas 7 of 22. Both shot around, uh, around 47% from the field, but neither team particularly could put the ball in the bucket there for large stretches of the game. It felt like and the fact that Illinois was able to pull this out, I think this is a big win. And how good has Jaden Epps been off the bench, the freshman for Illinois? 11 points in this game, but his contributions on the floor, I think they're a better team when he's playing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you mentioned 11 points, uh, three rebounds, three assists as well. So he's not only getting points, he's dropping dimes, and he's helping off the glass as well. Uh, we mentioned Texas probably having one of the best backcourts in the country. I think Illinois' backcourt was definitely better in this game. And I think the front court was a lot better in this game. I mentioned Timmy Allen. He was one of the only players that really played well for uh, Texas. Illinois, they could not stop Dane Deja. He had nine points. He only had nine points, but he had six boards. He was in foul trouble as well. But Illinois had 38 points in the paint compared to Texas 28. I think that was a difference maker in this game, especially in the overtime period. Phil, it looks like you're back. We are talking about your boys' big win against Texas on Tuesday night. Um, kind of your thoughts on that game. Uh, nice to see Matt Mayer's shot come around, you know, five for five from three. Uh, a big scoring game. But uh, TJ Shannon was not good in this game until overtime had 12 of his 16 in the overtime period. Um, I caught the end where you guys were mentioning Jaden Epps. You know, he's been fantastic throughout the season. I knew Damn. he was going to be a really electric scorer coming off the bench, but he's an even better shooter than I expected him to be. He's, he's shooting 39% from three, uh, just one for two in this game, but uh, has really been electric shooting the ball. Um, and, and I don't think he's a guy we have to be worried about being a one and done or anything like that. So as long as we can keep him around with that transfer portal, I think, you know, a year or two down the road, he's an absolute maybe like 18, 20 point a game score and a stud. Well, I mentioned it and I feel like when he's on the floor, they're a better team. Do, do you agree with that? I do. There's just, like I said, electric is how I always describe his play. You know, uh, I was telling you guys about him last year because he was playing uh, at high school in Charlotte um, and he played here in Raleigh a couple of times. I was able to catch him. And he, the kid is just electric. There's like he's like that microwave type of score. He just brings that energy off the bench. Um, and yeah, I do think they're better. I think they're a better team when him and Sincere Harris are on the floor. Oddly enough, you know, those two guys seem to have an energy that maybe a couple of the veteran guys aren't bringing. Um, I've been a little disappointed with RJ Melendez. Was expecting him to be have a bigger impact so far this year. He, you know, he had a pretty good game, but um, yeah, I think both the freshmen the team's better well let's, well let's move on to another big 10 team that played last night in las vegas on fox in prime time i mean you could tell it's prime time because they had gus johnson and our boy bill rafferty on the call out in vegas and what a just the atmosphere it was packed i'm talking packed with arizona and indiana fans it was loud it was rowdy this felt like a final four ncaa tournament atmosphere and how 
freaking good is Arizona. Forget the loss to Utah. Forget that. They are, I'm telling you right now, they are a team that can win the NCAA title this year. Kirk Go Cre- ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Kirk Kreza, 14 points. Pella Larson, 16. Omar Balo, 15. Azulas Tubelas, the MVP on Ken Palm in this game, 21 points. They got contribution from Adama Ball in the second half, hitting three threes. Uh, I mean, they, every time Indiana would make a run to get this game within three or five points, Arizona countered with a 7-0 run, an 8-1 run, and stretched the game. They were comfortably in the lead this whole game, even though it felt entertaining and close. Arizona wins 89-75. We'll talk about Indiana in just a second, but I want to hear from both of you. Your thoughts on Arizona on this performance, and as we look ahead, because I'm telling you, this Arizona team looks built to win the title. Does Arizona have the best front court in the country? Uh, I think so, right? At least right now. I think probably without a doubt. Yeah, I think it's uh, without a doubt, 100%. They got the best front court in the the country. Bow looks like a complete different player. Like, he's just a different different beast. Indiana, I mean, they got completely outplayed on the front court. You mentioned Bow. I mean, had 15 and 12. I know Tubelis won the MVP, but there's an argument to be made that uh, without Balo, they don't win this game. He had 15 points, 12 rebounds, uh, six and a nine from the field, a um, couple of steals as well for the center. That's impressive. But completely took uh, TJD completely out of this game. And I agree, Arizona. And I knew they would. I said last week they're not going to shoot as poorly as they did against Utah when they shot like 14 percent from three. I think they shot over like 40 percent in this game. Both, both teams. How about this, Phil? Both teams go 10 or 25 from three. Both teams. In a 25. Well, and you know, Peyton, you mentioned or brought up, do they have the best front court in the country? They probably have a top 10 back court in the country, too, between Kirk Risa and Courtney Ramey. I mean, I don't know that there's too many backcourts I take ahead of them. Um, but uh, just another huge win for them. And, and we keep seeing, you know, that front court to Bellis, like you mentioned, was the MVP. I picked him in my bank on it to outscore TJD. Have to uh, toot my own horn there a little bit. Finally got on the board with the bank on it. Um, I just, I think that this was a really bad matchup for, or, uh, for Indiana as well. I think teams that are going to try to speed it up and play a really, you know, just offensive style of basketball are going to bring up some of the flaws in Indiana. Um, and you, you always mention it, Josh, TJD just needs to get a jumper. I mean, yep. he needs to add some element of his game for when these physical matchups happen because Omar Ballo was able to completely take him out of this game. Yeah, and they didn't have to double in the post like other teams, like Rutgers tried and other teams tried. They just manned up straight, you know, helmet on helmet, if they use a football term. And Arizona, every time Indiana would make a run. Let's start, I mean, Arizona started this game, they went on a huge, like, 17-0 run to start this game, basically, and gapped the lead. They are up 29-12 after the first 10 minutes of the game. And Indiana, to their credit, fought back. But Arizona is just too tough. You cannot put yourself in a hole. And we always called out, officiating did go against Indiana in this game. Uh, Arizona went shot 25 free throws to Indiana's nine. And you could always say the counterpoint, oh, well, Arizona is the more aggressive team. Arizona shot a lot of jump shots in this game. So it's not like they, yes, they got to the rim, Balo on the putbacks and lobs to the rim, but there was some bad calls went against Indiana's way, especially late in the stretch. Especially that non-goaltending goal call. The goaltending call changed everything. Indiana changed, was rallying. Yeah. 
they I think they had got it down to four or five points, and that bucket would have been huge in the momentum to keep it. And then they don't call the goaltending. Arizona comes down, buries a three, and it killed the momentum. So Indiana was on the unfavorable side of some calls late, but that didn't that didn't, ultimately that did not beat them. Arizona is just too talented. They've got guys that can shoot. They've got bigs inside. They run the floor. If you want to slow them down, they run beautiful offense. Tommy Lloyd for years has been known as probably the best offensive-minded basketball coach. We've seen it in his year and a half so far at Arizona. We've seen in his tenure, Gonzaga as an assistant coach. Their offense is just a thing of beauty. And when you get contributions like a guy like, like Adama Ball going three of three, all in the second half, timely threes, and Indiana was without, again, Jalen hood Shafino. Would he have made that big of a difference? Who knows? But on the Indiana perspective, you got to feel good that A, your team continued to fight. This team will not go down without a fight. And you got to be happy with that if you're a Hoosier fan. Uh, Miller Cott continues his hot shooting. Four threes, 14 points. Race Thompson finally has a breakout game. They were not playing him. Adama, or I'm not sorry, uh, Omar, Balo, if I could speak, basically sagged off and played a one-man zone. So Thompson had to shoot the three, missed the first couple. Second half started really picking it up. He goes for 16 points, hits four threes, best game all year. Tamar Bates, 13 points off the bench. I think if you're an IU fan, you're disappointed that you lost this game. But you also got to be optimistic because you never quit. You went toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the country. And I think if you get healthy, fix some of these holes, I think Indiana is exactly who we thought they are. And they're going to be a team that can be a second weekend, maybe a Final Four team. I'm glad you mentioned Tamar Bates because that's exactly who I was going to bring up because I thought he played very well. Like He was very impressive. He got 29 minutes in this game, especially without Hood Shafino uh, playing in this game. They needed someone to step off, step up on the bench, and he was definitely the player. You mentioned he had 13 points, 6 of 10 from the field. I think he was extremely important in their um, search to come back into that game, cutting it to the deficit at one point to three points. Um, I think he was extremely impressive. He had a couple big shots there late. Um, so very impressed with how well he played. And I think Indiana's just going to be just fine. I mean, I kind of went the way I expected it to go. I knew Arizona was probably had the best front court in the country. I think they definitely proven that now, uh, dominating Indiana like they did. Um, and I'll tell you what, they only won. They won the game by 14 points. It felt like the closest 14 points I've ever witnessed. Like that game, even though it was about like 10 plus points most of that game, it was very exciting, and shout out to IU fans because they was loud there in Vegas. Phil, thoughts on IU going forward? You kind of agree with us that they should still feel pretty happy about the performance and moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think they should be somewhat happy with the performance. I don't think, I mean, I've seen a lot of IU fans on Twitter and stuff saying that this was like a back and forth game, which I, I would argue it was not. They never um, led. I was going to say, they, they didn't lead from like the 17 point, 17 minute point in the first half. Uh, it got within five points just twice in the second half, um, for a total of like 45 seconds or something along those lines. So like Arizona had them at arm's length pretty much throughout. Now, Indiana was without Hood Shafino, which I, which I understand, but I'm still sort of where I was with Indiana that I think they're a second weekend, you know, sweet 16 team, but I don't necessarily think that they have the final four potential. I yeah. think if Xavier Johnson plays well, their Final Four caliber good. Exactly. If he doesn't play well, then I think they get bounced probably Sweet 16. I, I completely and, agree with 
And I, I totally agree with that, too. It's just, like, can Xavier Johnson put together six straight good games? Well, that's, that's the question. And I forget what team we talked about last week where it's – oh, I think it was Gonzaga where we talked about, well, you get Timmy playing good, but the guards play bad. Or you get the guards playing good and the, the, the bigs play poorly. They can't get it all pieced together. This is like Indiana. If they're getting guys like Miller Cop and Race Thompson and Tamar Bates playing well, but they're big guys, Trace Jackson Davis – Xavier Johnson aren't necessarily playing up to par. Or if they're playing well, the other guys aren't playing well. If they could figure out a way to get everybody on the same page, they're going to be lethal. Not I only think that, they're going to be lethal. Not only that, but to play devil's advocate on what Phil just said, Kane Xavier Johnson pitted it together for six games straight. We thought the same thing about Wimmy Martin last year, and he definitely pitted it together six games straight, won Kansas a national title. If he, does, if he isn't on that floor, if he isn't playing for Kansas in March, Kansas does not win the national championship. So I think it can be done. We'll see, though. I, and I think that's a good point. I would also argue that that Kansas team around Remy Martin was superior to this Indiana team yeah. in basically every way, shape, and form. Um, so, I, and I just think this Indiana team is like one piece away from being a true national title team. I think they're that one like wing who can just take a game over away. You know, if they had Brandon Miller this year, they're they're the favorite to win the national title. You know what I mean? But without a guy, and they don't even necessarily need a guy who's that level of wing scorer, but they just need somebody who can take the pressure a little bit scoring off of TJD so that they don't need Xavier Johnson to necessarily be that 15 to 20 point a game guy. And Trace, if this gets to you, start shooting a few jump shots. I don't yeah. care if you make them. Make the defense have to think about that when they guard you. Help your team out. And that's Dang. that's something that I like is such a great point is it doesn't matter even if you make like if you only shoot 25 30 percent they still have to respect it at least a little bit like, like go ahead Phil sorry I was just gonna say they they have to respect it as an option right now you know anywhere outside of probably 12 to 15 feet, feet even that he's not taking a shot he's wanting to get to the rim and more specifically to the left hand side and it's so predictable. And if you have bigs like Omar Balo that can hold his own, he's going to be shut down. And and I don't want to keep bringing this up, but look at Oscar Sheboy's development from West Virginia to last year and then to this season. You can't guard that dude one-on-one most games because if he gets it from 15, 16, 17 feet, he's pulling a jump shot and he's making them. Or he's going to punish at the rim. Trace needs – we've begged for him all offseason when he's decided to come back to do the same thing. He's got to add that to his game, especially if he wants to play at the next level. But let's move on. How about Penny Hardaway, fellas? Memphis has won six in a row, including last night's victory against Auburn. The the Memphis Tigers beat the Auburn Tigers 82-73. Kendrick mother freaking Davis, 27 points. Peyton, I know you love this dude. And he had nine rebounds to boot. Kendrick Davis, star of the stars in this game. And on the flip side, Phil... Your your uh your favorite backcourt in the country here, wink wink, <laughs> Wendell Green and uh Katie Johnson, who actually came off the bench, combined for seven of Auburn's fifteen turnovers. So both sides of the coin here. How good has Memphis looked so far? 
They looked extremely impressive. They started off the year with a big win going at Vanderbilt and pretty much beating them up for the entire game. Um, and then they go in and beat a ranked team in Auburn. And I mentioned it as well last week. Auburn has not played anybody uh, worthy. They played, uh, I think they beat St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis is a good team, but that's really it. Um, they haven't really played anybody, especially the level of defensive ability that Memphis has. Memphis can get out of there and guard people, man. Uh, not only could they have Kendrick Davis and go get you 25-plus, which he did, and I'm super excited to that the fact that he's out there balling because I knew he would be, hence why he was a top 10 player in our uh, top 50 players in our uh, ECB thing, ECB magazine. Uh, can kick and go out and get buckets. They also had uh, Williams, 16 points, 11 rebounds. This Memphis team is sneaky good, and people need to be on the look for Memphis. I don't think they can beat, uh, they can overtake Houston to win the AAC this year, but I do think they're second now. Hey, Phil, do you think Memphis is the second weekend team right now? Oof, I don't know about second weekend. I definitely think they're a tournament team. It's so hard to say, like, this team is a second weekend team or whatever in the tournament because we have so much crazy shit happen, too. Um I, I think that they absolutely could make it. Um, I wouldn't bet on it. Um, I do want to definitely say best wishes to Larry Brown. I know he just yeah. left the the team because of uh, some health issues. So hopefully everything is okay with him. But, uh, you know, Peyton, you put it perfectly. I don't think they can challenge Houston for the title in the AAC. I definitely think they can give Houston a good game or two in AAC play or in the AAC tournament. But I think that this Memphis team is clearly a tournament team um, with Kendrick Davis. You know, they could probably beat just about anybody in the country. So wouldn't be completely shocked if they were a second weekend team to answer your question, Josh, but would also not wager the house on it. Well, what do you think about Auburn's struggles? First, I mean, Peyton mentioned it. They played St. Louis, which was a good St. Louis team. But this is their first real big-time D1 opponent, and they failed the test. The The backcourt was not great in this game. I know Wendell Green, 14 points. Katie Johnson, again, off the bench with 14. But the turnovers, they Memphis did have more turnovers. But their backcourt for Auburn to win has to be special. Elsewise, they're not that great if the backcourt does not play spectacular well we mentioned it when we talked about auburn last week and i was talking about uh you know my my favorite backcourt as you called it There's, <laughs> that was tongue in when, cheek. when, when they're that. good they're really really good and when they're not they they're kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum it's you know a tale of a tale of two cities if you will but uh i'm not too worried about auburn again i'm not super high on them i don't think they're a second weekend team i think that's like it's very safe to say, in my opinion. Um, I think they're middle of the pack in the SEC, but I also don't think that this is like a sign that they can't, you know, go 500 in the SEC or still make the tournament. You know, they still have Johnny Broom. Bruce Pearl's a good coach. He seems to get the most out of his guys. Um, I, I expect Auburn will be around come tournament time, but like you guys meant, they just haven't played anybody. I mean, that game against Northwestern literally set the game of basketball back. By like twenty five or thirty years. Ugly. If you didn't know yeah. any better, you would think it's high school basketball in the state of Indiana with no shot clock, and you can now, just hold the ball. In fairness to Auburn, is Northwestern maybe a little bit better than we thought they were at that time? Probably coming off the Michigan State win and stuff, but still, I mean, forty three, forty two is absolutely brutal. Unbelievable. I think what you're going to see with this Auburn team is that they're going to have no problem with the teams in the bottom half of the conference, except for that occasional maybe slip up 
that they're going to be prone to. It just, I'm not sure that they can compete with the Kentuckys, the Arkansas, the even, you know, Florida or somebody with, you know, a really good presence down low. Like I mentioned with Auburn, they have broom, but other than that, there's not a lot of depth. And not a lot of size. Uh, you, Peyton, you were joking at the top of the show about, you know, Nate Oates and Alabama. If any team in the SEC might consider going the Grinnell way, that would be Auburn. You got small guards, you might as well just chuck up a bunch of threes. That's how they made the Final Four that one year, just shooting the life out of the three ball. But um, real Memphis, surely to God, tomorrow they're going to be in our top 25. I know I'm I, – full disclosure, I'm voting for them top 25. Yeah, they're getting my vote. 100%. Yeah, I, I would definitely expect them to be – well, obviously they're going to be receiving votes, but uh, I would expect them to be probably not even just on the fringes, maybe like 20th, 21st, somewhere like that. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Probably anywhere between 20 and 23, I would think. But let's move on, Peyton. Supposed rivalry game here. The place was packed. Or Missouri was 9-0 and heading into this game, and they had their big-time rival, the Kansas Jayhawks, coming into town. And my dumbass picked them for the upset. And, boy, I feel like an idiot now. Missouri plays had played up to this game one of the worst non-conference schedules in America, playing some really bad teams. So maybe the record was inflated a little bit. But Kansas just came in and do what they normally do to poor Missouri and just beat them down like a redheaded stepchild. 95-67, Jayhawks are probably, with the upsets in the top five, probably back in the top five in our ECB top 25 tomorrow. 95-67, let's hear it. Thoughts on this game? This might be the best game Kansas has played since they beat Duke in the cha- up at Indy. Um, Kevin McCullough, 21 points, four, assi- or four rebounds, three assists. Jalen Wilson, 24-10. That's another double-double. I don't know how many double-doubles he's had this season. I'll check later uh, today when I look at his stats. Um, right now, I think Zach Eady's the front-runner to win National Player of the Year. Jalen Wilson might be second. I mean, he's definitely top three in my opinion. He's been balling here lately. Uh, and he's definitely Kansas' best player. DeJuan Harris, six points, nine assists. Uh, had a couple steals as well. Still one of the best. In my opinion, still the best on-ball defender in the country. Grady Dick, he's still balling. He's still shooting the lights out. 16 points, 6-11 from the field, 3-5 from the three-point line. He's still shooting over 50% from three, which is fucking ridiculous. Uh, Jordan Yesifu, he only had four points, but he actually played pretty decently. Um, this wasn't a game. Jalen Wilson's got seven double-doubles. Seven. This wasn't a game at all. Kansas jumped them early, and we kept on jumping them. And Missouri, the nine and, they was, what, 8-0, 9-0? It's easy to go 9-0 when you're playing teams like Lindenwood and SIUE and teams like that. Um, but when those Jayhawks come to town, you didn't want to play them in football. You might want to stop playing them in basketball because the last two times we whooped your fucking ass. Um, Phil, Missouri, performance. Missouri only their last lead was 4-2 with 18-23 left to go in the first half. After that, Kansas took over and cruised. Yeah, not much of a surprise. Also, not much of a rivalry when only one team ever really is competitive. Yeah, is it a rivalry? <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, uh, I, and I would say Missouri fans won't be happy to hear that, but I don't even know if there are Missouri basketball fans. So, um, I, I don't even think that we'll have get too much blowback from this, to be honest. Uh, no, the one uh, the one bright spot for uh, Missouri we do have to mention is Demoy Hodge. Uh, Averaging 16 and a half on the year, but went four for nine from three, was knocking down some shots, had 15 points. 
Um, really, basically the only guy that looked like he belonged on the court for the most part um, with Kansas. But, uh, you know, Peyton mentioned it. Kansas just has like four, five, six guys that can all contribute at a high level. Um, they they might be they might be looking in that conversation as a, a favorite to uh, repeat as champions. I, like. I think they do, and I'll put it like this. I think they have the best uh, on-ball defender in the country and Dwan Harris. I think they got a top three. I'd say he's the best. I'm bringing Miller's definitely up there. Um, either way, I think they're one and two. A top three freshman in the country right now and Grady Dick. I think Kevin McCullough is one of the best two-way players in the country. I think Jalen Wilson's a top three player in the country. And I think they got the best coach in the country. Once again, Bill Self. Um... And you mentioned Missouri, the fact that they don't have any fans. You just love pissing off fan bases, don't you? <laughs> Last week it was North Carolina. This week it was Missouri. Next week, hopefully, it'll be in Kentucky, and you'll get the trifecta there of people, I, of fan bases I just don't like. Um, but talking about Missouri, though, I mean, listen, the last few times they played Kansas, we beat the shit out of them. So, breaking news, Missouri is going to go to D2. That way they can stop playing Kansas in basketball. <laughs> um, in all fairness, in all fairness, it's going to take another year, maybe two, if they give him that long. But I think Dennis Gates is the right guy for this job. I think he'll get him back in the tournament in the next couple of years. I, I do, if you watch him and his recruiting, I think he will get them there. But they're not going to beat Kansas anytime soon. Let's go to one of the top five best rivalries in college basketball. It was played yesterday in Cincinnati. Xavier 80, Cincinnati 77, highly entertaining game. Xavier goes out to a 41-24 lead early in the second half. Cincinnati rallies back. Crazy ending. Cincinnati is shooting free throws. And, or no, I'm sorry, Xavier is shooting free throws. They are up, what was it, 78-77 with like 1.5 left on the clock. It was something, it was a little time. I think it was like 1.5, we'll say, because I don't remember the exact time. And Suli Boom, Cincinnati has no or has no timeouts remaining. Suli Boom purposely misses a free throw to set up because Cincinnati would have to take a full court heave at that case. Purposely misses the free throw. Cincinnati without any timeouts calls a timeout to get a technical to give Xavier two more free throws so they can take the ball out of bounds underneath and have a better chance at a some kind of play design. Suli Boom then hits two more free throws to put the lead at 88 or sorry 80 77. Cincinnati misses a full court heap. So thoughts on that final ending because it's I think it's great strategy from both teams. I think it's smart on Boom and Xavier to miss the free throws, knowing that Cincinnati would have to basically turn and heave it from 80 feet. But it's also smart on Cincinnati to call the timeout to give them two more free throws because you're still going to have to hit that three to try to have a better play design to try to get that game-tying field goal. Crazy ending for a great rivalry. So thoughts on that? Because that's something you don't see every day. No. It felt like a damn chess match out there. One person will make a pee or make a move. The other will be two steps ahead and make another move. Uh, it felt like a chess match out there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Xavier, I think, you know, we're talking about front courts. I think they have a top-ten front court in Jack Nunge and Zach Fremantle. Um, I think those two guys were excellent in this game. Fremantle had 14-12. and 12. Jack Nunn's had 18-3-3. Both of them got shot pretty well from the field. uh, You mentioned Boom. He led the uh, team in scoring, 21 points. He had six rebounds, three assists, two or four from the three-point line. This Xavier team, they almost beat Gonzaga in – what tournament was that? It was the PKI. Uh, They almost beat Gonzaga in – what was it? 
the PK-85. PK-85, not PKI. I don't know what the hell is that, PKI. Um, they almost beat Gonzaga, upset them. They almost beat Indiana at home in a hell of a game. Um, but they got a big rivalry win, and it's definitely, in my opinion, a top-five rivalry. I don't know hey, how you can argue that. Hey, Phil, after what we've seen through 10 games from Xavier and Sean Miller's ball club, is it safe to say that Xavier, with the the collapse of Villanova early in this year, you know, I think UConn is now the favorite in the Big East and probably Creighton. Do you think Xavier finishes the, the Big East this year, top three? Yeah, I think that's definitely within the realm of possibility. I mean, it's hard to judge St. John's too much because they've played, like, I think their schedule's ranked under 350 in the nation on Ken Palm. They literally won by 14 points yesterday and went down in their Ken Palm ranking. Um, so... I think St. John's is potentially right there with them, but it's hard to say because, again, they have not played any competition. Um, and I think Xavier could compete with Creighton for second, especially if Ryan Kalkbrenner keeps getting quote-unquote sick. Yeah, I think that's a – I mean, this rivalry, this is one of those games I want to get to one day because it is always close. It seems like it's a good game. It's brutal fan bases between each yeah. other. Fight. I mean, there wasn't a fight yesterday, but there's usually fights and mayhem and – and we got to mention that the Indiana transfer, Rob Fennessy, did not play for Cincinnati, so that could have swung the, the pendulum in their favor in this game. Cincinnati's 6-4. and four. They're not going to beat Houston in the AAC, but I would love if the Cincinnati team could make the NCAA tournament. Landers Nolly from Memphis is there. He only had nine yesterday. David DeHulius is a tremendous senior player for them. And then Rob Fennessy and company. I'd love if the Cincinnati Bearcats team could – rally together and make the NCAA tournament. I think they got the talent. I think they definitely can. Um, I was pretty high on them when I was doing my uh, doing the AAC uh, predictions for our uh, magazine. Um, and I still think they, they can potentially be a tournament team. You mentioned, you guys mentioned Creighton. They lost again last night. They got beat by BYU, 83-80. to 80. They're 6-4. At one point, there was a top 10 team in the country. I think they're going to follow our top 25. They are. I'm not pitting them in the top 25 at all. So what's your opinion on Clayton? Phil, I'll let you take, because I've got to – I want to hear yours first real quick. Uh, I wasn't as high on Creighton as you guys were. I wasn't in, like, the Tony Patelis range of just, like, way low on Creighton. I I saw him as, like, a 15 to – you know, 10th to 15th ranked team. But, you know, Baylor Shireman hasn't been consistently scoring the way we thought he would. Um, Obviously, not having Kalkbrenner for this game – hurts them a ton he's he's a huge factor when he's in there for them and when he's not their rebounding just really suffered yesterday against BYU BYU fucking killed them on the boards but I still think that like talent wise you know between Ryan Nemhard and Arthur Kaluma they'll obviously have Kalkbrenner back uh, I still think they're a really really high-end team um, it's just about you know can they avoid those hiccups once they get into big east play too I mean you mentioned Villanova kind of, you know, being out of it now, but they've looked a lot better since Cam Whitmore came back too. So I don't necessarily think that that's a gimme win in Big East play. Um, other than Georgetown and maybe like DePaul, I think anybody in the Big East can kind of knock each other off. So it, it'll be interesting to see once we get into conference play for sure. Well, staying in the Big And real quick, before we make this transition, you mentioned Shireman. I think he's trying to be too passive. I think he's trying to integrate too much because, yeah, I think he's still averaging like nine or ten shots a game, but he became a star because he was firing the ball. And part of it is because he had to. But 
if you watch him play, he he's just pass until late in the game and they need him. Then he hits shots from the logo. I'd like to see him be a more assertive and more aggressive early in games to get his shots because I think he's trying to pass the ball too much. But staying in the Big East, by far the best team in the Big East and maybe in the country right now is Connecticut. 11-0. They blew out Florida on the road Wednesday night. They dominated uh, LIU yesterday, putting 114 up on them. This team is top 10 in both offense and defense. They are beating teams by an average of at least 20 points every game. Connecticut looks like the real deal Holyfield. They're shooting 37.6% from three. They're 58% from two. This team has everything you need. They are big. They've got guards. They defend. Adama Sanogo looks like an All-American. The freshman Donovan Klingon looks tremendous. Tristan Newton, Jordan Hawkins, Joey Calcaterra. Alex Caravan, this team is deep, loaded, big, everything that you need. So what I'm going to ask, it's a two-part question. Do you think Connecticut's going to be the number one team in the country in the ECB top 25 tomorrow? And does this team look like the team that can win a national title? I think they can win the national title. I definitely think they can get to the Final Four. Your question about will they be number one on ECB poll, I don't I don't see them overlapping Virginia and Purdue. Um, I think Connecticut is a really good team. I think Trisha Newton has been a, definitely a defensive a def, difference maker from last year's squad to this year's squad. Uh, he had two points, two rebounds. Those two points came from free throws, didn't hit a single shot, but he dropped seven dimes. Um, UConn's backcourt in this in this uh, the last game had 14 assists um, from Newton and Jackson. I think that's very important for this team. Uh, Klingon came off the bench at 21. I think they got a lot of depth. They can defend. They can put up numbers. And I definitely think now they're the best team in the Big East without a doubt. Uh, so your question about them winning the national championship, I think they can do it. Will they be number one in our poll? I'm, they're not getting my vote. Yeah, I, I agree with Peyton on both of those fronts. Um, you know, you mentioned how dominant they've been. All 11 of their wins by double figures, just four top 50 wins, five wins in the top 55 versus Ken Palm rated teams, um, beat Alabama by 15 points. I mean, they've just been absolutely stomping people out. I also, it's time to top, talk about Adama Sanogo as player of the year candidate. I mean, my guy's averaging 18 points a game, 6.6 rebounds, shooting 62% from the field, 35% from three, excuse me, 36% from three. Um, just absolute monster. They're, they're definitely right in that conversation for me. You know, I mentioned, is Kansas the favorite for the national title? I think right now there's probably you know, eight or nine teams that you could say could win it. But I think that UConn, Kansas, Purdue, and Virginia would be right there as all my four favorites right now. And I, I would still throw Arizona in there. I would still throw Texas despite the loss. Outside teams, I would still, if they put it together, I'd still throw Kentucky in there. I would throw a team like Tennessee in there if they can continue to put it together. But I'm with you. Uh, I think the... The tier one teams are Connecticut, Kansas, uh, Virginia, Purdue, and then kind of tier two are like Arizona and them. Yeah, and I, I misspoke a little bit. I would throw Houston in my tier one as well. Houston, like yes. How, how could we forget um, them? How could we yeah, forget them? No, I definitely, like I said, I'm not too worried about Houston. I still think they're right there with anybody with that backcourt. And then with Drace Walker, he's been fucking phenomenal this season. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, let's move on to the, the games this week because, fellas, it's another loaded week. I'm talking loaded, which is great for us. But before we do that, real quick, team of the week, mid-major team of the week. Team of the week this week, we went with the Memphis Tigers. We mentioned it. They've won six in a row, big win against Auburn. Penny Hardaway's got his team going. And the most important thing, there's not a lot of controversy around Memphis. It seems like the last couple of years, there's always been some bullshit going on. Memphis kind of flying under the radar. I don't think that's been talked about enough. And uh, Phil, mid-major team of the week, I think it's only apropos after the big win against Murray State, right? Yeah, I mean, we had him as a guest on the show earlier, and then you mentioned the big win they had earlier. Got to go with uh, Bellerman, Scott Davenport's team, five and six, but we mentioned they've played the uh, fifth toughest schedule in the entire nation right now. Uh, he mentioned it, a brutal nine-day stretch with trips to Duke, UCLA, and Kentucky. Um, so you can't fault him too much for the record that Murray state win yesterday, you know, Murray state was ranked, you know, over a hundred rankings ahead of them in Ken Palm. Murray state was 122nd and they were 244th. So kind of a big upset too. And with the pedigree Murray state's had the last 10 years or so, that's a big win. That's a real big win. Let's, um, I've introduced it last week, this date in history in college basketball, Two games from the 2004 season played on the same day. We'll go back to December 11th, 2004. Number 11, Kentucky, beats Indiana. At that time, it was their fifth straight win over the Indiana Hoosiers. Patrick Sparks, which one of my favorite players at Kentucky all time, 16 points. The freshman in Indiana, big-time player, only stayed there a year or two. Bracey Wright had 31 in this game. Kentucky continued their dominance over Indiana. And on the same day, December 11, 2004, number one Illinois, that magical year we covered them back in the offseason when we did a watch along. Number one Illinois beats Oregon 83-66. Luther had 23 points. Darren Williams 17 points. This date in college basketball history. You fellas got anything on those two games before we move on? Just, uh, you know, that Illinois team is the greatest team in the history of all of basketball. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's all I got there. What year was this again? 2004. Motherfucker, I was like five years old. Yep. I don't remember shit from this game. I didn't know if you had a thought on it, damn. I mean, no, I don't have anything. I mean, uh, I got a... I, maybe I'll go watch some highlights back from it from both of well, those games. Maybe I'll right. figure it out. We'll skip you then since you're lame here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Big week ahead in college basketball. Starting on Wednesday night, we have number – and keep in mind, these are the ECB rankings. We're using our poll numbers here because I think they're better than the AP, to be honest. Number 18, UCLA at number 12, Maryland. We know how good Maryland's been. We've talked about them. We know how good UCLA can be. So let's hear your thoughts and predictions on UCLA at Maryland. Big time road game for the Bruins. The fact that it's at Maryland makes me even more comfortable that Maryland's going to win this game by eight points or more. I have not been impressed with the way UCLA has started this year. How many heck has Junior has been? He's been good. Tyler Campbell had some decent games, especially in the main event tournament. I mean, he had a decent game against uh, Baylor in their second game there. But, uh, the play of Amari Bailey, he still hasn't shown that he's a five-star freshman. And if he doesn't show it anytime soon, especially in this game, then I don't see how it gets any better for UCLA going forward, especially when they head into Pac-12 play. Um, I don't see them contending or stopping Arizona from winning the Pac-12 this year uh, if he doesn't start getting his shit together. So I think Maryland wins this game 82-74. to Phil? Yeah, uh, I think... 
surprisingly enough, I just like the pieces that Maryland has more at this point in the season of guys who have established that they can produce at the college level. I think they have, you know, four or five, six of those guys, whereas, you know, Peyton mentioned we have not seen that Amari Bailey can consistently produce at this level. Um, so I like Maryland, especially because it's at home. Um, I, I like them 72 to 68. This is a big week for UCLA. They've got Maryland on Wednesday, and then they go to Madison Square Garden against Kentucky on Saturday, which we're going to preview in a minute. Man, they dropped both of these. They're out of the top 25. So I'm wanting to take UCLA, but I'm with you guys. I just don't think Maryland loses at home. You know that building's going to be rocking. I wouldn't be surprised if Scott Van Pelt's not going to be there front court. Uh, there's something about this Maryland team that feels special. I know they lost earlier in the week to, uh, was that at Wisconsin? I think's where it was at, but that's on the road at Wisconsin. So I'm going Maryland. I'm with you guys. I think this could be an ugly game at periods of times where we have five minute scoring droughts, stuff like that. So I'm going to go a low scoring game. I think Maryland wins this game 66, 61. I just, I like the home court advantage and I like Maryland. Saturday, we've got so many good games on Saturday. This might be the best week of college basketball we get all season long, not just early year. Might be the best all year long. Number 15, Indiana. Acts, number six, Kansas. Saturday, in Allen Fieldhouse. Indiana, Kansas. Phil, I'm going to let you take this one first. Keep it short and sweet. I uh, I think Kansas is a much better team than Indiana. I think they're like they're a tier apart. Kansas is among the great teams. Indiana is just a good team, and I think you're going to see it, you know, in this game. And I think Kansas wins eighty-two to seventy. Peyton, my team, I go less. All right, all right. So Kansas is only lost. We've seen them against Tennessee. Big physical team that defends their ass off. What's Indiana? Big physical team that defends their ass off. I know it's an Allen Fieldhouse, but I've said it for months, and I'm going to stick with this, and I'm going to ride through with it. I think Indiana doesn't lose this game. I think that they will defend. Kansas, the one thing we know about them, they don't have a whole lot of size, and they don't have a Omar Ballo that can physically manhandle Trace Jackson Davis. I think TJD eats in this game. I think Indiana, as long as their role players like a Miller Cop and Race Thompson continue to shoot the ball well, and surely to God they get Jalen Hitchafino back. Indiana goes into Kansas and wins this game on the backboard and in points in the paint like they did against North Carolina. I like Indiana winning this game 81-78. Sorry about you. Well, one thing I do know covering college basketball for the past five years that Indiana is no Kentucky, okay? So they're walking into Allen Fieldhouse in the toughest environment in the country. Bar none, don't try to argue me. I know Auburn has a great environment. I know Texas has shown, especially this year in the Moody Theater, Moody Center, that they got a great environment. It doesn't fucking compare to Allen Fieldhouse and Fog Allen. No question about it. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, any of you guys have have any white uh, tape laying around? You got any white tape? Because it's going to be a crime scene in Allen Fieldhouse, and this time it's not going to involve Xavier Johnson. Okay? Kansas gets the job done. I mentioned earlier, we got the best on-ball defender in the country, Dewan Harris. 
who is he, who is he going to be mainly guarding? Xavier Johnson. Who has been inconsistent to start the year? He's had some good games. Last couple losses against Rutgers and Arizona, he's been bad. So, he's going to get shut out. He's going to have a couple turnovers. Grady Dick has shot the lights out, shooting over 50% from three. Yes. I don't give a shit about the front court because guard play wins games morally. And our guard play, I think, is fantastic right now. Um, Kansas it, wins 79-67. to 67. Yeah, except for when he played a big physical team like Tennessee that shut his ass down. <laughs> yeah, Indiana's not a big physical team. It's Chase Jackson Davis. It's Chase Jackson Davis. That's fucking it. Look what that just happened to Arizona. Arizona is a physical front court heavy team. Indiana, their front court, if you want to talk about, you're telling me Chase Jackson Davis is as physical as Armour Ballo. But really? you're, telling me, you're telling me that KJ Adams is as good and or physical? You're telling me that he's smart enough to keep freaking TJD from getting to his left hand? No, I don't I don't, I, I don't think that. I think TJD has a good game. I think he may have a double-double. But who else is going to show up? Who? That's what I'm saying. And I don't care if Shafino plays or not. He's not going to be the difference maker in this game whatsoever. You don't think, so. you don't think he's going to be a difference maker? If Shafino if Shafino played against Arizona, does does Arizona still win that game? I think Arizona still wins, but I think it's a hell of a lot better than what it was. Who do you think's a better team, Arizona or Kansas? I think Arizona's better in Kansas right now. I think if you stacked them up because of Arizona's size and the way they score the basketball, I don't think it – listen, I think Kansas is a really, really, really good team. But I don't think that they can match up with certain teams in the country, Arizona being one of them. And I don't think Indiana obviously is as good as Arizona, but I think Kansas has shown against defensive teams that they have struggled. Tennessee and Indiana are kind of the same mold right now. We've seen what Tennessee did against Kansas. I know it's at Allen Fieldhouse, so I will not be shocked if Kansas wins this and wins this comfortably. But I'm telling you, I think Indiana's defense will bother Kansas. Who has a better front court? Uh, not front court. Who has a better back court, Tennessee or Indiana? Uh, Tennessee, well, I don't know. It, to start Tennessee, the year off, we said Tennessee had a top five back court. I, I think Tennessee does. I take Zakai Ziegler and company over Xavier Johnson, Jalen Hutchfino, uh, Tamar Bates, like whoever. Like I, I, I think them. I think Kansas is a backcourt over Indiana. Oh, That's talking, going to be the difference maker. Is who the backcourt? We're talking about one game, not over the course of a season. We're talking about one game, and we've seen that this Indiana team will not go away. You will not blow them out, and unless Kansas runs a one-three-one zone against them, which I don't think they will. I think Indiana is going to be in this game the whole way, and if it's close, Kansas gets tight because it, it's on them. The pressure's on them to hold home court. Okay, uh, two things I'll say about that, and I'm I'm loving this by the way, and I can't wait to listen to this back because I love when we go back and forth because it's a lot of fun. Normally, I'm talking shit to Coy, but since he's not fucking man enough to show up this week, um, I guess I'll talk to you. Two things I got to say about that: you mentioned the home court advantage. Um, you mentioned it being one game and not the whole season. Uh, there's not a lot of coaches out there that I trust in a one-game scenario to get a job done, especially on their home court, than Bill Self. Bill Self's the best coach in the fucking country. No debate whatsoever. He's the best. And you telling me, him be on the sideline just from out-of-bounds plays or time, coming out of timeouts, that's 10 points alone coming out of timeout, timeouts. There's nobody better than him coming out of timeout getting any bucket he wants to get. Um... And, you know, it is what it is. Kansas is winning this fucking game. 
Well, that's fine. I'll take Indiana's defense, and you can take Kansas at home. Let's move on. Alabama, number eight, Alabama, coming off the big win against number 20, Gonzaga. It's in Birmingham for some reason, and Gonzaga is listed as the home team, which is odd. Phil, Alabama's had a history of beating Gonzaga the last couple of years, uh, and we've seen them knock off top teams already, and it's in their home state despite being listed as the road team. Question is, does Alabama get another top-tier quad one win or does gonzaga find a way to get a big win themselves uh i mean i'll tell you what if gonzaga doesn't find a way to get a win in this game they're in serious trouble i mean obviously they're not in trouble of missing the tournament but they are not going to be a top probably three or four seed like we're accustomed to seeing them the past 10 years or so um i think for that reason gonzaga's just got a little more urgency in this game and they find a way I think they find a way to get it done in a, in a very tight game. Uh, Drew Timmy has a big performance. And uh, Gonzaga, 84 to 78. Yeah, I like this matchup. I'm riding with the Crimson Tide. Uh, there's something about this team against big teams that they step up and they'll maybe have the best player on the floor. I don't know. It depends on how Timmy shows up, but... Again, I don't trust Gonzaga's backcourt, and Alabama's built for games like this. I like the Crimson Tide taking another big-time win. I like Alabama in this game. High scoring. I'm talking real high scoring. I think Alabama wins 92-89. to Yeah, this is tough for me, uh, especially coming off that Houston game, the fact that they still won 71-65 and their best player didn't hit a fucking shot. I mean, that says something a lot about this Alabama squad and how good they are. Uh, But I think I'm going to agree with Phil. Uh, Gonzaga needs this win way more than Alabama needs this win. Um, Gonzaga wins this game. uh, Like you said, Josh, a high scoring. I think 85-80 won. Let's go to probably the game of the week here. Currently number one, Houston, at number four, Virginia. They might flip-flop in the rankings here. It's at Virginia. This is going to be an ugly defensive slugfest. I think we all can agree on that. Both teams hang their hat on defense. But I'm going Houston to bounce back. I know it's at Virginia, but I'm going Houston to bounce back. Low-scoring game. I think Houston wins. First one to 60, so I'm going to say Houston wins 62 to 57. Oh, I wish this game was on a – well, actually, I don't wish this game. I'm glad this game is at Virginia and not at, like, a neutral side because that would make this game a hell of a lot tougher for me to predict. The fact that it's at Virginia, I think Virginia holds home court. I've uh, been loving the play of uh, Armand Franklin. I think he's been the difference maker for this Virginia squad. Kind of is the glue guy for them, does everything. He gets rebounds. He defends. He hits shots. Um, he hustles down the floor each and every play. Um, he just gives, he's, a, he's just that effort guy that Virginia has lacked in the last couple of years. And defensively, I think they're a top 30 team def, uh, in Ken Palm for defensive efficiency. I don't have the numbers with me right now. Um, I think the offense has uh, been a lot better than it was last year. Virginia wins this, low scoring, 69 to 65. Yeah, I'm with you guys on it being a rock fight, but uh, I think Houston bounces back here. I just, Everything that I like about Virginia, I like about Houston just a little bit more. And uh, I think it's even uglier than you guys have said, though. I think it's like a 54 to 50 type win for Houston. And uh, you get a nice performance out of Terrence Arsenault and uh, Marcus Sasser makes the difference. Up in Madison Square Garden on Saturday, we have the CBS Sports Classic, UNC versus Ohio State. Phil, I'll let you take first volley here because you've covered both of these teams. 
Um, RJ Davis finally had a nice performance yesterday. I think he had 20, 20, 21 points, something like that. So UNC, Ohio State. Uh, I think UNC, again, like I said about Gonzaga, I think UNC really needs this win. And I said Gonzaga wasn't in you know danger of missing the tournament if they didn't win, but UNC is getting to the point where if they don't put together some you know some wins in non-conference play, you know the ACC is a lot better this year than it was last year. It's not going to be a run through for them. So I think UNC needs this one bad, but I just think Ohio State's a really solid team. I really like Ohio State, and I think they take this one. They're just a little too physical at the guard position for UNC able to throw RJ Davis and Caleb Love off and uh Ohio State takes a kind of ugly one 68 to 64. Yeah, I'll take I'm going to go because North Carolina needs this win and if RJ Davis plays well, I will go North Carolina winning this game cuz they desperately desperately need this. I will go 71 64 North Carolina in this game. Uh, I'm going to agree with Phil once again. Uh, I think Ohio State gets the job done. The guards are just playing a lot better than what, especially Caleb Love. I mean, I think Caleb Love has not been good start the year off at all. Um, so I think Ohio State gets the job done, knocks off North Carolina 77-70. to 70. The other CBS Sports Classic game up in Madison Square Garden, we got number 18 UCLA playing number 16 Kentucky. Peyton. Um, shoot. Ugh. Uh, well, there's no question that Kentucky's front court's a lot better than fucking, uh, besides Tommy Hawkins Jr., it's a lot better than uh, UCLA. I mean, UCLA's not going to have anybody to guard Oscar Shibuya. He's going to go for about 17 and 15 probably in this game, I'd imagine, maybe even more. Um, so I don't think he's, they're going to be able to stop Penn. The question of Kentucky is, can they? are they going to hit shots? Is uh, C.J. Fredick finally going to show up in a big-time game? Uh, it's Case and Wallace. I know he had played. He was very impressive in that Michigan win down there in London. Uh, can he do it again when he has to face against uh, an equally as good as defender as Tiger Campbell is? Um, I think this is a game that UCLA needs to win. He needs to get a big win because they went 0-2 down there in uh, what was it, Vegas for the main event tournament. Um and I mentioned earlier, I think they're going to lose as well. And the other game that we talked about, I think they get the job done. I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be in the low 70s, high 60s. Uh, 70 to 66. UCLA, the Bruins, get it done. Bill? Yeah, you know, Peyton mentioned the huge advantage in the front court and just physically for Oscar. I don't think it really matters if Kentucky hits shots in this game because I think Oscar is going to have, you know, one of those Zach Eady like performances from the other night and go for like 30 and 20, just an absolute monster game. And Kentucky dominates this game from start to finish. I like, I like the uh, Wildcats big in this one, 88 to 65. Homer alert here. Sound the alarms. Cause last time we had them on a game, I picked Gonzaga to win and I'm going with Kentucky in this one. Uh, offensive woes are still there. They'll probably be there most of the year. But I do like what I'm seeing on Kaysan Wallace. He's proven that he is a jump shooter now, which we didn't think coming in. Oscar Shibuya is going to do Oscar things. But I love what we're starting to see out of uh, Yugane Kingsley on Yesu. We need more out of Jacob Toppin. We need more out of our shooters and Frederick and Reeves. We need Sabir Wheeler to be smart and heady in this game. But I like Kentucky. I'm with Phil. I think Kentucky pulls and gaps them late. I do think we'll hit enough shots. Six or seven threes will be enough to win this game. And I think Kentucky wins. I don't trust UCLA right now. 
So I'm going about the same scoreline as Phil. I'm going to go 81-65 in this game just because I think they gap them late. And then the last one, we mentioned Houston-Virginia probably game of the week. This would be a close second. Number 10, Tennessee at number 7, Arizona. Woo! Hose me down, baby, because this is a good one. I'll let whoever start first. I don't care. Phil, go ahead. Yeah. Um, Arizona has the best front court in the country, like we already mentioned. I think that, you know, Tennessee is a good team. Again, it, I just think they're a tier below Arizona in this one. And I think Arizona had maybe is our team of the week next week after a huge win over Tennessee as well. 90-75. Okay, I'm going to go. Listen, if this game was in Tennessee or a neutral site, I would favor Tennessee. But it's in Tucson. And them crowd, if you've seen them at Las Vegas last night, Arizona crowd is insane. Insane. So I think that's a a five-point boost right there. And then you factor in Arizona's defense, their size, and their offensive ability. Love this Tennessee team. And I think that they can do some stuff that Indiana could not do to Arizona. But I think Arizona gaps this one late, similar to the Kentucky-UCLA game. I do like Arizona to win this game. High scoring again. I think that they win 92-79. to Jesus. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Tennessee has a big week because today they play a top 15 team in Maryland um, at 430. So they got another big one today. Um, I don't see them losing because I think they'd lose to, especially since it's at Maryland, I think if they lose to Maryland. Um, and I think they beat Arizona. I think it's going to be... Um, I think it's going to be 75 to 71. Uh, the difference maker is I think Tennessee is going to open them up and going to hit shots. And I think Zakai Ziggler is going to have a good game. All right, let's start rounding this show out. We went a little longer today because of Coach Davenport's gracious time. He gave us way more than we thought. So we, we are thankful for that. A little longer show, but we'll start wrapping it up. Let's go to the bank on it. Peyton, pull that beautiful graphic up it's for the people to see. Currently, I am two and three on bank on us. Dropped one last week. Oh, where'd it go? Where'd the graphic go, Peyton? Peyton's two it's and four. Phil's finally, on, Phil's finally on the board. So, Phil, you got a win last week. I'll let you take it to go two weeks in a row. Oh, Phil, I got it. Sorry, it was on mute there, guys. Um, I got to try to start, like, doubling up and shit just to, you know, get back to 500 here. So we're going to go with a double up. Terrence Arsenault and Marcus Sasser both go for 15 plus in the Virginia game. Bank on it. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Hey, that's interesting. Uh, well, I did two bank on it. I doubled up last week, did two bank on it. So I got one of them right, one of them not right. I banked on um, Illinois beating Texas. Thank you, Phil. Your boys pulled out. A victory for me got me a bank on it and then Xavier Johnson I banked on him having four turnovers or more and he only had two so I ended up going one and one last week but this week I'm going to to the Kansas Indiana game <laughs> Dewan Harris has five steals or more in this game bank on it ah I like the I like the player pick parlays here. I like that. Yeah, it's fine. Do something different. No matter well, teams, but let's do something different this week. Well, you want you want uh, something different. I'll go our our pat. Not, not a pal. He blocked me on Twitter, so fuck him. Mister 
Swerve, bro. Mr. Vince Russo, because I'm swerving on you from that last game. Baby, I'm going an SEC parlay on Saturday. SEC sweep Saturday. Kentucky, Alabama, and Tennessee all get big wins on Saturday. SEC shows its dominance that it is the best conference in college basketball. Bank on it. Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama win their three big-time games on Saturday. SEC. SEC. <laughs> well, last time you fucking banked on three teams uh, coming up with a victory. Uh, two of the teams end up winning, and unfortunately your team was the only team that fucking lost. So yeah, maybe it'll double down happen again. I don't know. We'll see. I, I like it. Let, let's round out with shout-outs here, and I'll go first on mine real quick. Donovan Klingon, the freshman, we alluded to him from Connecticut, 7-2. He looks, he looks like a monster. Like, I don't think he's better than Zach Eady. But I've seen some Connecticut fans get hype and say that he's the best 7-2 guy in college basketball, which I don't buy right now. But he is producing at a level I don't know if any of us, even the, the diehard Connecticut fans, I don't think they could have predicted that he would be this good this early. So Donovan Klingon, phenomenal shout out. Phil, how about your baby Blue Devils? I'm just going to shout out the whole team, man, because they are getting better game by game. They are figuring it out. They started five freshmen yesterday for the first time, and the baby Blue Devils are looking like a team that is slowly crawling their way to being a top team in the country. So shout out to the baby Blue Devils. And then I'd be remiss. Shout out to the Bellarmine Knights. Big win over Murray State. We just had Coach Davenport on with us, talked a little bit about it. That is a bigger win in the – not only the state of Kentucky, but around college basketball, given what Murray State has been the last decade or so, they have a good team, Bellarmine with a big win. So those are my three shout-outs. I got three shout-outs as well. Um, Shout-out to St. Mary's for knocking off a top 25 team in San Diego State. Uh, This was a game on our pick-ems, and I did predict this upset was going to happen. They knocked off San Diego State 68-61, to so shout-out to them for getting a huge, for a big upset. Um, Next shout-out goes to Matt Painter and Purdue. Um, they might be the new number one team in the country. Like I said, I don't th- expect them to overlap. I think maybe Virginia might be number one. We'll see, though. But even if they are number one, this is two years straight that he's gotten his team to the number one team in the country. Um, we mentioned him earlier when we talked to uh, Scott Davenport um, about how good of a coach that uh, Matt Painter is. And he's definitely is a top five, top ten coach in the country. Uh, so shout out to him. He's done incredible things at Purdue, and it's only going to keep getting better. Um, next shout out goes to Missouri. Why you ask? Well, I tell you what, they played a little bit better than what they did last year. Last year, Kansas whooped them 102 to 65. This year, Kansas whooped them again, but it was only 95 to 67. So they scored two more points and gave up seven <laughs> points less. So at least they made it tiny bit more competitive than They're what it was better, last year. Maybe, maybe 20 years from now, maybe it'll be about 15-point <laughs> deficit or something. We'll see. So, shout out to them. And that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> Alright, I just got two this week. Um, Josh, you know, you mentioned the baby Blue Devils. I have one in specific. Dariq Whitehead had his career high last night, 15 points. Um, just looked more confident than he had with his shot. They needed somebody to step up with Jeremy Roach out. And he was definitely more aggressive offensively. Um, was only six for 14, so still not a great shooting night. But again, you could just see the confidence um, expecting his season to sort of take off from this point. 
And then my second shout out is uh, Jalen Pickett for Penn State. Just an unbelievable Ooh. game yesterday against Illinois. Um, me and you have talked about him throughout the year, Josh. He's but so good. Played, played all 40 minutes in this one. Um, 20 points, six assists, seven rebounds, two steals, a block, nine for 17 from the field. I mean, the guy just does a little bit of everything. Um, 6'4", you know, he he's an ideal kind of NBA type guard as well. I think he's going to start getting a lot of that type of love, but Jalen Pickett, definitely a contender for first team big 10 this year. If not gonna, player of the year, I was going to say, man, he looks like an all American. He's had a triple double this year. He's putting up big numbers. And like you said, he does a little bit of everything. He is a phenomenal kid to watch right now. He's so good. Yeah. I think Penn state is, you know, a lot better. You had mentioned it earlier in the episode when we were talking about that Illinois game, but Penn State's better than we expected. So brief shout out to you to Micah Shrewsbury, who's doing a great job at Penn State. Yeah, I think they get in the tournament this year, the way they shoot the ball. I mean, we'll see how Big Ten teams start beating up on each other once conference play starts, but I certainly think it's a possibility. I think they get in. Um, Real quick, I'll, Josh, I don't know if you mentioned him. You might have. I wasn't really. I was looking at some other stuff. But uh, shout out, side shout out to Hanzel Emanuel oh, uh, yes, from, North, from Northwestern State. Uh, they had a big win. They beat the shit out of UL Monroe a couple of days ago. And uh, he got his first bucket. Um, he got his first collegiate points uh, with a layup, and then he got a monstrous dunk after a missed free throw. Um, if, it, if you guys don't know who he is, he was in sensation coming out of high school who has one arm, and it's only his right arm. And uh, he's a fantastic player. He's a crazy athlete. He has a crazy athleticism. And uh, so shout out to him for getting his first collegiate points and having a monstrous dunk. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. You talking about inspirational stories, man. Uh, dude with one arm and just he doesn't let it slow him down. And he, he's athletic as hell. And I'm so happy he's getting experience at D1 level because, man, I couldn't imagine playing with one arm and to do it at that level. What a what an inspirational story. Like you got to feel good for a kid like that. And he's got big time NIL deals too already based off of his uh, popularity. So good story, man. Good shout out. Great episode, episode 125. Again, we went longer today. We had no idea Coach Davenport was going to give us that much time. We thought maybe 15 minutes. We ended up going like 35 with him. So tremendous episode. I hope you guys enjoy this. Cannot wait to get to meet Coach Davenport in person here in a few weeks. Have him back on the show, hopefully, and kind of build that relationship with him. Phenomenal, phenomenal guest. What I, I just... I could talk to the dude for hours, listen to him, tell stories, and it, just tremendous. But guys, wrapping up episode 125 for the Everything College Basketball Podcast. You can find us on Spotify. If you if you haven't already, leave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Music or wherever you download the podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter at ECB Podcast 10. And just keep in track with everything we got going on. We got the weekly pickums. We got all sorts of good stuff. We're in the heart of college basketball season. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and we'll look forward to cover, reviewing the big-time week ahead in college basketball next week on episode 126. Until then, hope you guys stay safe, stay healthy, and we will catch you down the road.